Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of PSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes, podcasts, blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled PSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today we're rewinding way, way, way back. Not quite to the Genesis shows of TSP, but very early. March the 9th, 2009. Recovery equals inflation. Originally episode 156 of the Survival Podcast. This was not what I originally had intended to leave you guys with for uh, this week with Rewinds. I had a couple shows set to end this week for you before I get back. On Monday, we'll talk a little bit about Monday in just a second, but I originally had it set with a couple shows about uh, picking out, keeping uh, chickens, and I decided to do something a little bit different. Uh, the week before the Rewind started, I was conversing on Twitter, and some stuff came up about the economic situation they're in, and I thought, self, a long, long time ago, didn't you really forecast exactly everything that's happening with inflation right now? Now, when you listen to this episode... Um, it will not be exactly the mechanism by which, but will be the exact reasons and will be the exact logical flow that's resulted in what we had. There's no way I think anybody sitting back in 2009 could have forecasted the absolute absurd stupidity that was two years of COVID's lockdowns and screwing the economy up, the continued screwing the economy up, uh, keeping a baby formula uh, factory shut down with no clear evidence that anything actually ever happened wrong there, uh, sanctioning Russia and making them into the most successful uh, currency uh, that, that exists. Like All the stupid that we've done, like Joe Biden being president, I don't think anybody expected that in 2009, and we had you know Obama by then. And I still don't think anybody expected uh, President Joe, especially President Joe in the 2020s. That just would have been insanity talk. But the upshot of this, the gist of this was that we were not careening into the end of oblivion yet anyway back then. And I was actually attacked. I had started to really get some momentum at this point. It was clear Survival Podcast would be a full-time endeavor. In fact, it was the end of 2009. Uh, that in December going into Christmas of 2009 that I said I will be back in January after my vacation and we will be full-time, and I was. So we had begun to build up a listener base. We had ne we were now measuring listeners in the thousands. That's enough people to tell you you're stupid when you get to that level. And when I came out with this show and basically said, hey, things are going to get better and then they're going to get worse, and it actually the timeline was long. The number you'll hear till full recovery... Uh, it was a projection of around five years, and I would say that wasn't off by much. Now, Warren Buffett gets credit for it, not just me, uh, but I think like if you look at that, you go to 2013 until the nation can say we're actually in full economic recovery. That wasn't that far off at all, and then we had a great big boom, and the band started again, and everybody got drunk again, and everybody got high on cheap money again, and then the eventual result would be massive inflation, and note that I never once used the term here, then or now or since, have I used the term hyperinflation. I've been pushed back on that too, dear friends. Because people will say, well, we're going to get hyperinflation. And I'm like, no. Well, hyperinflation has a very specific definition. And we have not hit hyperinflation. Could we? Maybe. Do I think it'll be anytime soon? No. And I'm not even going to give the definition of hyperinflation. But if you look it up, 
There is a specific definition of month-over-month -month inflation resulting in annual inflation of a specific number. We're not even close. It doesn't mean it's not devastating. It doesn't mean it's not awful. It doesn't mean it's not soul-crushing and soul-destroying. But nothing that's happening actually surprises me, and I just thought it would be interesting to rewind back all the way to March of 2009. And here again, not exactly the mechanisms, but the exact results, the mindset, the how, the what. I don't like to use you know boisterous words about myself. I, I know that I come across passionate and all, but I'm a pretty humble guy. But these words were damn near prophetic. And, and I, I hesitate to say that, but I don't have another descriptor to describe what you're about to hear. So let's rewind back. March the 9th, 2009, recovery equals inflation. Oh, and a real quick add-on I almost forgot there. Uh, 2009, March, I'm in the 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI driving down the road. Yelling at Ask Clown, so this does have some crappy audio. And remember, while we don't have commercials in TSP Rewinds, you can always help support the Survival Podcast. How? Start that online shopping at tspaz.com. Today's show, um, we are going to discuss inflation. And what I mean by inflation is the coming inflation. And don't ask me to tell you when it's going to get here or when it's going to start or how high it's going to go or how long it's going to last before it falls again. Just let me say it is coming, it is inevitable, and it will happen. The only thing that's going to prevent the type of inflation I'm talking about is if we have a runaway end of the end of the road inflation right before the fall off into catastrophe and nothing left. And I, as I keep saying with this financial crisis, I don't think we're here yet. There is a point at which we could get into a point where the U.S. economy melts down into oblivion, completely gone, completely destroyed, nothing left, and all hell and anarchy breaks loose. That can happen, but I don't think it's this time. And there's a variety of reasons, and we'll talk about some of those. But what I want to really do today is, is part of my, my efforts here at this show are not just reactionary, but preemptive. I want to get out a mentality that maybe can help us avoid some of this stuff, or at least help the people that listen avoid some of the pain when it does happen. And I know that for some of my listeners, when I talk about the economy, this really isn't your cup of tea. I'm telling you, you need to listen to today's show. Understanding what's going on at an economic level in this nation and how it's going to affect you today, tomorrow, next year, and the next 10 years is every bit as important as being competent with a defensive weapon for your home or having a good supply of food in your house or having a garden or knowing how to survive off the land. It's every bit as important, and it's, it's guaranteed to have an effect on you. What I mean by that is, if you just live like life like the average schmo out there, and you just go to work, and you have a mortgage and two car notes, and uh, it may not affect you whether or not you have a garden. It may never affect you whether or not you have a gun. Now, it probably sooner or later will, and, you know, that's why we tell the ant and grasshopper story around here. It, it might not ever affect you whether you have food, because you might be, even in a 50% unemployment market, 
one of the 50% still has a job, and you might manage your money just well enough to stay out of trouble, and everything may work okay for you, and you might not need to fall back on any of those. But the economy will affect you. It's affecting you today, it affected you yesterday, and it's going to affect you tomorrow. It's the biggest reason that you're into this mentality in the first place. Because if our economy was rock solid, there'd be a hell of a lot less to worry about. And the only thing you might worry about are things like a flu pandemic and uh, some earthquakes, tornadoes, uh, natural disasters. You really wouldn't worry about man-made disasters. Because every man-made disaster finds its genesis in the economy. Right down to war. There's never been a war fought where the the economy wasn't part of the reason that the war was fought. And in most instances, it was the sole reason that the war was fought. And you look at all the supposed reasons that the war was fought, and you go, well, how is that affected by the economy? And you go, let's see, if both countries had everything they needed economically and logistically and supply line-wise, then there would have been no war. And that's true, especially of World War II. It was the absolute destruction of the German economy that happened because of maneuvering by the French and the English that led to World War II. It was the fact that we had a Weimar Republic where somebody needed a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a sack of potatoes that led to World War II. So all I'm trying to say to you today, folks, is if you don't think the economy matters, if you don't think the... Excuse me. If you don't think the economy is important, stick with me. I'm going to show you today why it is. And why I'm not just going to sit here kicking the economy while it's down today. I'm going to talk about recovery. And I'm going to talk about the danger to you and your family and your lifestyle while we're in the recovery that I do expect to occur sooner or later. And you might be thinking, as Jack flipped his lid, I mean, uh, this recovery stuff, isn't recovery good? When a patient has the flu and he starts to recover, isn't that a good sign? If he has cancer and you go through recovery, isn't that a good sign? So when our economy recovers, isn't that good? What's the danger of recovery? Well, the danger of recovery is based on a couple things. One is how sick you are. Because sometimes recovery is not easy. Let's say if you're recovering from an addiction, there's a good way to look at what we're doing right now. We're recovering from an addiction to low-priced, easy credit. That's a big part. And we're recovering from an addiction to spending. Now, when you have an, an addict go through recovery, they go through detoxification. And a lot of what we're doing right now is we're going through detox. Right? That's exactly what's happening to our economy today. We're detoxifying. We're detoxifying toxic debt. We're detoxifying poor lending practices. We're detoxifying overpriced real estate. All of these things that are sending this this country into what looks like a decline are actually part of a recovery. We're recovering right now, whether you believe that or not. Now, it's not some sleight of hand, and I'm going to say, see, now now that we're recovering, you're in trouble. No, I'm going to talk about the recovery that the real economists will call a recovery. The recovery that the Democrats and the Republicans will both take credit for. The recovery that a president will point to and say, look at the balance of your 401k. I'm going to get to that. That's what I'm going to talk about when I say there's a danger. But what I'm telling you is the real recovery is occurring today. 
The real recovery is you take the meth addict or the opium addict or the morphine addict and you take away his drugs. And he starts to vomit, throw up, convulse. He gets the shakes. He gets the chills. And the only thing that makes him feel better is to either take some of his drugs or you give him some methadone. When you think about that analogy and what's going on in our economy right now, all the money dried up. So what we did is we put methadone into the economy. We pumped a bunch of money into the economy. We lent money. We bailed people out. That's exactly what we have here. We have an addict that right now is on methadone. Now, what will happen to an addict on methadone once they get over the psychological effect of being out of the space that they were in, right? Because they become attached to their fellow addicts. They become attached to a lifestyle. They've identified themselves with drugs. They've identified themselves with whatever it took as far as crime or or work or whatever it was, however they funded their addiction. And what they did to administer their drugs, they went down to a point where they had a routine. Every day at a certain time, they're putting a needle in their arm. So, and there's two sides to that addict recovery. One is, hey, I, I have to physically get over the addiction. But then I have to mentally get over how I felt good because of the high. And I have to mentally get over that even though this lifestyle was crap, I'm not part of it anymore. And I've identified myself with that lifestyle. So when it's not here anymore, I feel like something's missing. But once those two things are done... Many addicts that recover live a life that is amazing and they accomplish more than anybody who never went through the process. And you look at it and go, how come this former addict has written 14 books in 10 years? And, and, and 12 of the 14 are bestsellers. Or how come this, this guy that used to be an addict is now a public speaker inspiring you know, tens of thousands of people in every speech that he gives? And, he, you know, he, he's turning down engagements for thousands of dollars because he has enough. How do these people get there? Well, they get there because they've purged from their system all the things that are toxic to it beyond just the drug. Because when that, that, that recovering addict gets to the point of feeling better, they feel so much better that now they realize what they were squandering and they grab onto it. And they head for it. Now, that's the opportunity that's there for the American people right now. That's the kind of recovery that this nation could have in the next four to five years. But I'm telling you, we're not going to. And we're not going to because there's one thing you have to do to get the drug addict through his recovery process off the methadone and onto reality. You must separate the addict from the influences that made him an addict in the first place. He cannot be around other addicts who have not gone through recovery. He cannot be around drug dealers. Those two are an absolute requirement. You cannot be a recovering addict surrounded by other addicts. You can't be a recovering alcoholic and hang, an alcoholic and hang out a bar. It will not work. One day you may be able to walk back into that bar and be strong enough to say, give me a Coke, give me a ginger ale on ice. But if you're still in the recovery process, if you walk into the bar, you'll start drinking again. 
And if you walk into a bar where the bartender wants you to drink, or you go past a drug dealer where the drug dealer wants you to use, and they keep pressuring you, and you're surrounded by peer pressures, they say, hey man, come on back to the way it used to be. Remember it was good then. Before you get through the recovery, you're going to relapse. And that's how most, you know, most folks relapse. You're thinking, is this a drug show or is this an economic show or is this a survival podcast? It's a survival podcast, folks. Stick with me because here we go. Here's how we make the bridge. We have a dealer in our society. It is the Federal Reserve System that tells us, here's money, go spend it. They have an entire cartel or network of dealers, which are the lending institutions, regional banks, credit card companies, large financial institutions, and government-subsidized financial institutions. It's an entire drug-dealing network to deal cheap money. And it's going to keep putting the pressure on us, and we're all recovering addicts here. Hey, come on. Home loans are 4.9%. It's a great time to buy. And it is a great time to buy, and that's the danger. What they're trying to do is turn the money faucet back on to get everybody spending again. Because if we just got everybody spending again, it would repower and refuel the economy. And all that will do is get everybody high again. It will push the balance of our stock portfolios up. We'll start to see the money flow. We'll start to see the average person driving a new car again instead of a car that's four or five years old. And everybody will go back to being a crack addict on the money. And when that happens, because of the way we got into this mess, that's where the danger is going to come. And what's going to happen when that day comes and the money starts to flow again is an inflation spiral upward like we've not seen, honestly, in this country for ever. I I think this will be the worst inflation we've ever seen in the United States ever. Now, I don't think it's going to be Germany-Weimar Republic inflation, not this time. I, I think we might be setting ourselves up for the bottom of the barrel, you know, the final crash of the addict in the next cycle. It could be one more after that. I don't know. I just don't see it yet. I don't feel it yet because of the way I see things playing out. Now, at least you think that I'm crazy and I'm just some survivalist ranting in my car. Warren Buffett came out, and there's a story in the news today, and I'll link to it from the show notes today, that says that we will recover. It could take as much as five years, and his biggest concern about the recovery will be inflation. That the inflation is going to be the driving danger going forward through recovery. And what he said is if you want to dance, you have to pay for it. You've got to pay the band. And nothing is free. So to pump all of this money into our economy, to make all this money cheap, to restart the machine, isn't free. If you take a giant diesel truck and you run it down to one drop of fuel and you want to get it heading down the highway again, you get an awful big bill when the pump finally clicks off and the truck is full. What we're trying to do is fuel an entire fleet of trucks that are near empty while they're still moving down the road. And we're not going to pay the bill until everything's 
to full steam again. When that bill comes due, instead of one person getting it or the government getting it or, or you know, the magical, mythical, super wealthy that have more, all the money in the world, instead of them getting it, we're all going to get it. We're going to get it the way the economy works, spread across the cost of goods and services from one end of the spectrum to the other. And there's two things that are going to drive this inflationary process. One, the Fed continues to grow the money supply. Now, I'm going to link to an article that says I'm wrong about that. That says it's growing, but nowhere near as much as they say it is. And I'm going to do that for a reason. I want you to look at the graph in it. And what you're going to see is that the total money supply, the M3, which is all the U.S. dollars in existence, has been in decline since July. And I want you to look at that and go, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense at all. During that time, the Fed pushed $2 trillion into the economy that they won't even tell us where it went. The governments throw $700 billion at this bailout, $800 billion at this bailout, all this money. The money wasn't just taken from one place and moved to another. It was all created. It was all part of inflating the supply. They stuff banks with money from one end of the economy to the other. There's another backdoor couple trillion dollars that we haven't been told about. In addition to the $2 trillion that Bloomberg and the Senate and the Congress is asking the Fed to disclose where it is, what are the terms, but yet the money supply fell. It didn't just fall. Now, everybody's reporting in the news now like it's been falling in January and February because the, uh, the banks are opening up their lending. But you'll see it fall all the way from July. You go, well, that makes sense. There's less money. But no, there wasn't less money. People lost money, but when somebody loses money, somebody makes money. That's the way the economy works. The dollars don't, you know, blink off into nothingness. They change hands. Money is energy. It's not created. It's not destroyed. It only changes in form. It's important that we remember that because the Fed breaks the rules by creating more of it without having a corresponding index to create it from. And what I mean is, not only is there no gold standard anymore, we don't even say, okay, well, the output of the U.S. is X, so we can only have so much in Y dollars. We just make it whatever we think needs to be done. So what we have to ask ourselves is, where did all that money really go? Now, I'm going to sound a little bit tinfoil hat here, folks. I think it was, um, I think it was converted and disappeared. And money laundered. That's what I think happened to it. I think that we were so in a hole with credit fault the swaps and foreign money against United States real estate that the Fed took at least $2 trillion, made it into dollars, put it in the hands of these foreign credit uh, credit default swap people that were ready to probably just about foreclose on our country and cut off the money supply. They converted... The U.S. dollars into euros or, you know, whatever, to, far, to various foreign currencies. And then the Fed pulled the money back out and disappeared it, and it's gone. And you say, how in the hell is that possible? Well, if you go back and listen to my show on derivatives, what I explained to you in that show is that the, the banks were creating fake money. They were counterfeiting money with derivatives, where I would buy a bet against the fact that a whole group of homeowners were going to default, and then I would sell the bet to somebody else who would buy the bet, and then they would sell it back to somebody else, and somebody would put ten of them together in a package and resell them over and over again. It sounds confusing, and it's confusing as hell. But the reality is every time you're taking one of these these chopped-up loan vehicles and reselling it, you're creating money that doesn't exist. And when the whole thing falls apart, you have a giant hole 
where there's no money. And what the Fed did, in my estimation, is they backfilled the hole. This is why all the congressmen and senators were going, hey, the lending dried up, so we gave you guys money, and you're sitting on it. Where did it go? They're not sitting on it. It is gone. It's not coming back. It's gone forever. They spent it. And they didn't spend it on a thing. The thing they bought was destroyed, and they paid the bill for it. And the money went into foreign hands to starve off a complete shutdown of foreign nations being willing to put money into this country. That's what I think happened. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Let's say that you're an idiot. And let's say that I am a dumber idiot than you are, so I, the Bank of Jack, give you the household of idiocy, $50,000 in unsecured consumer credit. Now, you go out and you buy a 65-inch plasma screen TV, and you buy just a whole bunch of crap. You just spent $50,000 on consumer-level goods. Ten years later, you owe me $60,000 because of how slowly you've been repaying your $50,000 line of credit back. All the stuff you bought is now gone. It's broken down. It's old. It's been recycled. It's been donated. It's been given away. You haven't valued it. Or even somebody broke in your house and stole some of it. You had a fire. I don't know. But five years later, you owe me 60 instead of 50. You've already paid me a bunch of money back, but it was only enough to starve off some of the interest. And now you have no underlying asset because it's gone. Now, if an angel, right, the federal government bails you out, the angel investor comes in and hands you $60,000 and says, go back to spending money, and if you're smart, or if you have no choice, because I'm about to foreclose on you, and you take the $60,000 and you give it to me, and the, and the Bank of Jack is in France, then everybody looks at the household of idiocy and goes, why aren't you spending money? Well, you don't have any money, do you? Well, why don't you have any nice things? Well, you didn't have any nice things already. You don't have any money to buy anything with. And when you come back to me and you ask me for a loan again, I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't think that you're going to have an angel pull through for you again and you almost defaulted. I'm not giving you money again. But I, you know, learned my lesson. I'm a recovering addict. Yeah, I, no, and besides, your credit score is in the toilet. So I'm not giving you money now. Right? This makes perfect sense in a household. Where is the money? It is gone. It's gone. The house has no assets, and the household budget has no money. And no one would not understand this. So when you take a bank that's played this derivatives game and has foreign creditors all over the, all over the world, Japan, China, France, England, Sweden, Switzerland, and they owe all these people tons of money, and they're $50 billion in the hole, and the government writes them a check for $50 billion. They're not sitting on the money. They paid the whole off. And those foreign investors took their dollars and converted them to their own or some other currency, flooded them back into the U.S. market, where the Fed quietly pulled them out of circulation, and ta-da, David Copperfield, my friends, the money 
is gone. Now, before you get irate, this is exactly what the Federal Reserve is supposed to do. It's exactly what the Federal Reserve says they do. They do. They just know that most people won't get it, so they didn't tell us. So what does that mean? That means the big bubble in the M3 and the decline in the M3 money supply is fake. It's not real. That all you need to do is look at the growth curve, ignore the bump, and we're sitting on 10% growth of the M3 for the past 10 years consistently, nonstop, over and over again, which means the price of money is still going down. It's still being depressed. That one little bubble was part of the methadone shot to get the addict through the recovery process. But we're not dealing with people that actually want the addict to recover. They just saw the addict on the verge of death, right? The addict was about to just fall over and die. And they're like, we got to put this guy back together some. He's our customer. we got to make sure the addict doesn't die. We don't want him to fully recover. We just want to get some good food into him, a couple hot meals, get him into a shelter, put him on some methadone for a couple months, get him working again so he can pay his bills, clean him up, make him look a little more presentable, and then we're going to start selling him meth again. And that's what's going on with the U.S. economy right now. Now, what happens when you have 300 million recovering addicts that start being given their drug of choice end over end inexpensively? They go nuts. And they start having dope parties all over the place, right? I mean, that makes sense. If you give a recovering addict a bunch of drugs, once he slips off the wagon, takes the first few, and you give him an unending supply, he's going to go crazy like he's never gone crazy before. He's going to remember how good it felt, how good that high felt. You know, okay, man, give me another eight ball. Slide it into my veins. I like this feeling. And every time he starts to come down off the drug, every time he starts to say, hey, you know what, this family, we're starting to spend too much money again. Let's start putting more money into savings. All the addicts in the house, including the head addict, who's making the statement, start to go, man, this doesn't feel the way it used to. Yeah, I'm getting a little, you know, we need to go to Walmart and look at a new TV. I mean, the neighbors have a new TV. Yeah, you know, we need to do this. So sooner or later... Everybody breaks, and the money starts to flow again. And that's when everybody says the band should play, and we've entered an economic recovery and an economic boom. And let me tell you what's going to happen this time when that occurs. There will be more money than there's ever been in the history of the planet at the, top, at the point that this recovery really starts. It could be 2010, it could be 2011. I'm saying it's going to be 2010 to 2011 at the beginning of the recovery because I think that, that the Democrats and Barack Obama are going to do everything they can to make it look like a recovery because they're scared shitless of the midterm elections. Right now, all the talking heads are still saying, hey, you know, Republicans stand to lose even more at the midterms. I don't think so. I think people have realized they've let one side of the leash go too much and they're ready to kind of pull things back in and balance the power again. And I don't think the Democrats can stop that. But what they can do is mitigate it. Maybe they can maintain some level of control of the House and Senate. But I do think they're going to lose seats, and I think they know it. And I think the only way they don't lose a ton of seats, because right now everybody's still blaming Bush, and it's not Obama's fault, and blah, blah, blah. 
by September, October of this year, that message is going to start to wear thin on the guy still looking for a job. And by March of 2010... He's like, whoa, wait a minute here. You know, we can only blame the past. You know, you've had the job for a year now. So they've got to get something to happen. And they'll pump as much dope into circulation as they need to to get this done. And when the economy starts to rebound, it starts to recover, it starts to roar. Here's what you're going to have. People driving older cars than they've ever driven before in their lives. People that have sat in houses for longer than they ever intended to. because Not because they couldn't buy another house, because they couldn't sell their house. And they're finally going to be able to sell that house and give themselves the upgrade they've wanted. A lot of these people have never really suffered during the Depression or the Recession, whatever you want to call it. Maybe their 401k balance went down. But their pay is going to have stayed the same. They won't have lost any money. They'll have kept their jobs. Again, 25% unemployment still means 75% of people are employed. So all those people that are driving that car that's six years old, that have been trained a car in every three years, all those people that have been waiting to sell that house and buy a new house, et cetera, et cetera, down the line of the commodities, they're going to finally go, you know what? We can go back to the way things were, not because we now have the money, but because other people have the money to buy our assets so that we can move away from them into something bigger and better. I'll be able to trade my car, sell my car, what have you, buy a new car. And what we're building up right now is a bubble. We're building up a bubble during the downtime for the addict of all these things that people are used to buying in two-year cycles, three-year cycles, five-year cycles. And right now, for instance, the cycle of buying a use or buying a new car is pushed out over ten years. Now look around you. That's the buying rate right now. Ten years to a car. How many cars do you see around you right now that are actually ten years old? If you're in your car, driving home from work or what have you, look around you. How many cars are 10 years old or older? What does that tell us? Americans don't drive cars for 10 years. We should, but we don't. So once the money flows at all, we're going to go on a buying spree. And because we've pushed so much money into this economy, we've so devalued the dollar, we're going to have inflation run away. And I'm telling you now, don't fall for it. That's what this whole show is about. When it happens, don't you fall for it. You've probably made adjustments in your life in the past six months to a year. You've probably put yourself on the pathway to recovery. You're probably off the methadone at this point. You're probably paying down your debt or you don't even have it anymore. You're probably driving a car that's close to being paid for or paid for You're probably seeing your drug dealer come on your TV set, though, and go, folks, we've got deals on new cars like never before, right? You're probably seeing the the mortgage people tell you, refinance right now at 5.15%. Today is a great time to buy a new house. And here's the danger of those two statements. It's a great time to buy a new car, and it's a great time to buy a new house right now. It absolutely is. It's, it's a phenomenal time to do either one of those things. If you have the money, if you have the stability, if you have reserves in case your, your primary form of income falls through, and if you really need it. In other words, if you're driving a four-year-old truck with 80,000 miles on it that runs perfectly for you, you don't need a new truck. 
Just because the new one's shinier, the shine will wear off long before the payments do. If you're living in a house that completely serves your needs, you have no trouble making the payments or you're close to paying it off or have paid it off. And you have enough rooms, walls, roofs, doors, you know, and garage space, you don't need a bigger house. If you do, yes, this is the time to buy. So what's going to happen? The people that need to buy, that it's the right thing to do, will start the buying spree. They'll do what they should do because they're taking an opportunity while money is very inexpensive and while prices are severely depressed to make the moves that make sense for them. As that money starts to move, it's going to create momentum in the economy. And all the consumer-driven people start to open up the MasterCard, the Visa, and the American Express, and the money starts to flow again. The economy will start to roar. Interest rates will come up a little bit at first. They'll keep them down because they know patience weak will kill them. We'll kill them if we, if we hit them too hard. You can't go back to straight crack. Give them a little methadone again. Cut, cut his coke a little bit, you know, a little bit leaner. Don't give him too much at once. He's a recovering addict. He's our customer. We don't want to kill him. Just give him a little bit. Slowly bring the addict back to his old party days. But once the momentum starts, it's like one of those old airplane propellers where the guy got out and pulled it, and once it came around the second time, the momentum just takes over and boom, it takes off. That's what's going to happen to our economy. And then all this money that people are holding on to and being smart with finally breaks free and starts to flow. And when all that money that's been printed comes into the supply, the only thing it does is devalue the money in your pocket. And that will cause prices to rise like you've never seen before. So what should you be doing today? You should be making long-term, low-cost purchases with as little impact of debt as you can. You need to be one of the early movers. This is the time to get yourself into a home. I'm telling you, go out and buy a house right now. If you've always dreamed of owning a home, you don't own one yet, if you can can afford it, if you have the money, if you have enough security with your income, if you have a reserve fund, Right? If you don't have to clean out all your savings to put a down payment, this is the time to buy a house. And to buy it as cheap as you can and be ruthless in your negotiating. Drive the price another ten, twenty, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 down. Push it down and buy. This is the time to buy a second used vehicle as a backup, you know, that's in good shape, 50,000, 60,000 miles on it, that you park and you don't even use. So if your car breaks down, you don't go out and whip out the MasterCard to fix it later on when you're back being an addict. You just drive the other car until you figure out how to take care of the problem. This is the time to buy food. This is the time to put some money into some solid investments that are depressed. And I can't tell you what to invest in, but I'm telling you, now's the time to start looking. This is not maybe the bottom, but it's pretty damn close. And it's not time to tie your money up in, in things that are speculative. You know, notice I didn't say I'd go convert all your cash to gold. Or, now that the Dow's down to nothing, take all your cash and buy, you know, Dow index funds. Because I can't guarantee you that I'm going to be right about everything that I'm telling you. The stock market's going to rage again. I don't know. What I am going to tell you is that sooner or later, the machine will start to run again. Buffett says within five years or less, the machine will be running fine. 
but the consequence is going to be extremely elevated pricing across the board. Because when all the addicts start smoking crack again, the price of crack goes up. How simple is that to understand? You look right now and you go down to, uh, you know, Compton. And you say, how much is a crack rock? And I don't know what a crack rock is. Let's say it's five bucks. Now, if two weeks from now, a 100,000 new crack addicts start buying crack in Compton, how much is a crack rock going to cost you? So right now, nobody's borrowing money. It's not that no one's willing to lend it. Nobody's borrowing it. People are going, wait a minute. This debt thing is causing me grief. I can't afford it anymore. They've stopped borrowing. Again, it's not that the lender stopped letting the borrower stop borrowing. No, I don't want any more crack. My head hurts. But everybody's saying, come on, man. Just just try one more crack rock. This is new crack. It's new improved crack. It's pure. It's cleaner. It's Democrat crack, not Republican crack. It's going to be okay. Have a little bit of crack. And people are slowly starting to fire up the crack pipe. They're slowly starting to fill up the meth needle. And they're slowly starting to go back into these addiction patterns. And the only thing preventing it right now is an unemployment rate that's absolutely astronomical. According to ShadowStats.com, it's not 8%, it's 18 And I don't know which one of those numbers to believe. I bet you it's somewhere in between. But I bet you it's double digits right now, for real. It's 10 to 12%. I'll bet if somebody really pulls the real numbers out, that's what unemployment really is today. It's that alone. It's scaring the addict and making him go, man, my, my buddy next to me, they're telling me to go back on the crack. He went back on the crack. He's on life support. He's near dead right now. And sooner or later, that guy either dies and goes away and you don't see him anymore. Or he makes it through and he recovers and you don't see him anymore. Or he makes it through and he goes back to smoking crack and he goes, look, man, I'm all right. And all three have the same result for the addict that's watching and wishing he could smoke some more crack. He goes out and smokes some more crack. Or he goes out and borrows some more money. And again, it's only a matter of time before the addiction hits its recovery. And the American people lose the opportunity that's in front of us right now. You know what people are doing right now? They're spending less money. They're spending more time with their family. The stuff that they are buying, they're buying long-term purchases. They're not just paying whatever's being asked. They're negotiating prices down. They're saving cash. They're not putting all their money into their 401k and the stock market, taking some of that money out. Even the people that are staying the course with investing have decided, you know what, 25% cash or cash equivalent assets makes a lot of sense. Having money in a bank account in addition to a 401k that I can put my hands on and get when I need it, I really need to do that. They're starting to put some money under the mattress, so to speak. They're starting to see the value of their work and go, hey, I give away 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week or 60 hours a week to earn this money. I shouldn't just let it flow through my hands like water. I need to rein these things back in and take control. And if we keep doing that, recovery, with quotes, big giant air quotes around it, will take a lot longer to occur because we'll completely go through the detoxification sequence. We'll come out the other end of recovery without being addicts anymore. But our government doesn't run that way. The tax system they have in place won't work that way. 
the Federal Reserve System that, that makes money equal debt can't work that way. The entire system that we are in is dependent upon addicts. The Federal Reserve itself has said that if no one owed anyone any money in the United States, there wouldn't be a dollar left. That every dollar is dependent on debt. That's not way out there ethereal tinfoil hat folks or stuff folks. That is what the Fed says. That the entire economy runs on debt. So the system won't let the addict stay clean. What I'm telling you today is that you need to stay clean. Don't lose sight of this. When everybody starts spending money and buying Lexuses and giant SUVs again, and they all look at you and they go, See? See? You were all worried that the world was going to end. It didn't end. Look at it. It's the same as a guy firing up the crack pipe in front of you at a party and saying, Look, they told you this will kill you. I feel great. It's not hurting me at all. You know what that crack's doing to his insides. You know what it's doing to his long-term future. You know that that crack is a cancer in that individual's life. And you know better than to pick up that crack pipe. You better start looking at debt the same way again. Because we didn't even get to talk about gasoline prices today. But when this economy rebounds, and we're producing 2 billion barrels a day less oil than we were six months ago, 2 billion less, and we're not doing anything to increase production domestically or foreign, the, the production capacity was maxed out this summer, and we're not doing anything to increase it, when the economy recovers, gas prices are going to go like you've never seen before. Mark my words. So that pretty much wraps up today's show. Real quick, house cleaning at the end, which I should probably have done at the beginning. Region 5 is having their get-together uh, around Memorial Day weekend. Come one, come all. Region 5 is like Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana. Somebody just asked me, do I have a region or can I create one? Everybody has a region. Uh, everybody around the world actually has a region. Go to the forums at the Survival Podcast. Down toward the bottom, you'll see the community boards. You'll see the regions, and each region lists uh, which states are there. And then there's an international board for everybody outside of the United States of America uh, because we do have some international listeners as well. So make sure if there's any way you can get down, it'll be fun. We'll all get together. We'll eat some barbecue. We'll do some shooting. Uh, we'll do some training. It's going to be a really cool event. Dan Tanner's doing a great job. Put it together. Let me say again, thank you to Dan. Uh, Fort Worth Gun Show, two folks showed up. We walked around. We had a good time. I bought a new Caltech Sub 2000. That'll be part of some upcoming videos for the members area. Uh, and that pretty much wraps up our house cleaning for today. But again, folks, as I close today, I want to just, this is a plea. This is a plea. I know what's coming. It's not the end of the earth. Not yet. Unless something, you know, a comet, a meteor, a flu pandemic, a giant earthquake, a big one out in California. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. And that's why we prepare every day. Because, you, you know, you plan for the worst and you, you hope for the best. And that's, that's what we do every day. So I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying if it's just purely left to itself, this economic system is currently in, the, in, the, in a process of putting its addicts into a healthy enough situation to go back to buying drugs again. And when it starts up, it's going to look like a big high-dollar dope party. And the money is going to flow. And it's going to look so easy. 
It's going to look so cheap to buy that new car that you really shouldn't buy. It's going to look so easy to get a new MasterCard, Visa, American Express. They're going to start marketing like crazy to you again. Take the money. Take the money. It's already started. My credit card company, who I have a zero balance with, just sent me ten checks in the mail, blank checks. and said, we've increased your credit limit to it. I won't even tell you because that's personal information. But it was a shitload of money. And basically what they're saying is, you already owed us a bunch of money. You paid us back. What's wrong? What's wrong? You're one of our good customers. You're not laying in the gutter dying. Take the money checks. But no, no, I shredded the checks. Shredded them. Probably need to call them up and cancel the account. The card doesn't even exist anymore. The, the, the new card they sent me with the new expiration date on it, I never activated it. I shredded it. You couldn't even charge with it if you had it in your hands. But they're trying to get me and other people that are the good customers going again. Because they know that once we start smoking our dope, you'll smell it and you'll want to smoke it too. I'm telling you not to do it. When you see your neighbor with a new car, don't be jealous. Don't be envious. Have sympathy. Have pity for that person that they're going back into the cycle of addiction. You stay out of it. That will help you live a better life. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.